we are live. Welcome to today's episode of MicroConf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Wallen. It's a pleasure to be here again with you this week. I really dug the, uh, the updated visuals producer Xander brought in during that intro. I hadn't seen those. So every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to value and maintain healthy relationships. We don't ask for permission to start companies. We build and sell real products to real customers who pay us real money. It's the startup for the rest of us ethos, the MicroConf ethos, MicroConf on air. It's good to have you back. Today, we're going to be diving in to a topic that is, it's interesting, it's near and dear to my heart, even though I don't like doing it, but it's sales. And what I love about both sales and marketing is that a lot of people, when you're on the outside of this, if you've never been a salesperson, never tried to sell anything, you've never tried to market anything, especially if you're a developer, a technical person, you think that these things are, I don't know, that, that there's some type of, someone may, waves a magic wand and convinces someone to buy someone, or you think of the, the used car salesman, you just think of it as being this kind of skeezy thing. But once you get into it and you realize, oh, it's not about forcing someone or persuading something, someone to do something they don't want to do, sales especially is about being, as Anna Volset tells me, it's you're an unpaid, but like highly valuable, in, in, highly valuable consultant in essence, and you're trying to help someone find the right solution for them. And that was a big, nice mental switch for me several years back as we were starting to do higher touch sales stuff with Drip, that it, it was never me convincing someone to use it. It was always, what are your needs? And are we the best platform for this? Or should I just refer you out, which we would do as well. And so I, I just think the, the importance of sales is often forgotten. I don't think it's talked about enough. I want to have more people in our space who are thinking about it, talking about it, and have, bring expertise in sales and marketing to the table. So today I have the pleasure of welcoming John and Dege to the show. John currently works in sales at Amazon Web Services, but he and I got to know each other when he was running, he founded and launched a SaaS app called Pocket Risk. He ran that from two, uh, 2012 to 2017 when he sold it. And he and I, of course, he was a, a single founder, small SaaS, niche SaaS app. And I got to know each other through MicroConf. And he wound up speaking at MicroConf Europe in 2015. And yeah, it's really good to, to have John back. He was running a digital marketing consultancy for the past few years in the crypto space, but he's back talking to us small startup founders and hanging out. And he is John N. No, no, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. John N-D-E-G-E. -E, John Ndege on Twitter. John, welcome to MicroConf on Air. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. It's great to have you. So I want to kick us off today. I didn't prep you for this, but... The first question is a tough one. Star Wars? Or a Star Trek, hands down. All right. <laughs> which, the original series, the next generation, the movies, which are back? Mm. This is controversial for some people, but I think my favorite wow. was Deep Space Nine, actually. Okay. Yeah. That's not yeah. the usual <laughs> fan favorite that I hear. <laughs> so I watched Star Trek, the original series. I never did watch The Next Generation, but I, I feel like I need to dig into that at some point. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we, you have a lot of experience with sales, both on, on your SaaS app, Pocket Risk. You were doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations, high-touch sales, working with financial planners and advisors, if I recall. Obviously, That's I'm right. sure you did a ton of sales at your digital marketing consultancy, Renowned & Co., and now you're continuing that thread. AWS. So the, I think the title of this session is scripting sales. And 
I would love to hear what you mean by that. Like, why should you, do you mean creating a script for your sales calls and, and why should someone think about doing that? Sure. So when people think about starting a, a SaaS app or some kind of software, it's natural to create a product or a feature and test it over time. So you want to put it out there in the marketplace, see what customers think about it and iterate over time. But often people don't have the same mindset when it comes to sales that you can actually have a script or a playbook or like a demo that you go through with customers and iterate on that over time and actually improve the way you communicate the value that your app creates. And I think if people had more of that mindset, they'll get better at sales. They thought of it as an iterative process where you actually test it and you'd be tested effectively against customers or prospects, then they'll come up with a way to communicate the value of their app, which really resonates with customers and they'll see their, their sales actually improve. They'll also get to hear about, of course, the objections and the challenges customers have with the app in a way which they wouldn't otherwise hear. So that's why I believe in having this sales script. And how tightly is it scripted? It, it seems to me if it was just a monologue that I'm reading, it's going to feel stilted. Is it more like bullet points? It's bullet points. The basic sales script is in an introduction where you say to someone, hello, how's your day? And they're usually humans like to start off with something personal. You don't go launch straight into the sales script. You know, you talk about the customer's problems. There's a reason why they're taking the time to speak to you. And then you start to talk about how they solve the problem today, any kind of challenges they have. You're starting about asking them what's their ideal solution. And then you see if there's a bridge between what you have and their problem. And can the solution that you've created, can it solve their problem? So yes, this is like bullet points. What happens is that after maybe doing 30 or so calls, it stops being almost scripted at all, or there was, there's no bullet points because it becomes natural. But usually the, the first 30 or so calls when you've got a new app or new product and you're unsure what the market thinks about it, it's good to actually have a script. And you'll find with each call, you, you deviate from the script more and more as you get feedback from the market and learn as you go. And you start, I imagine you start adjusting the script and editing it such that if you were to hire other salespeople, you can pass it along to them. Exactly, yeah. Cool. Do you have an example of this, whether on, on your blog or just on the interwebs that we could potentially refer people to? I actually don't have one. Actually, you know what? I actually created a, a short video on YouTube. If you, if you search my name on YouTube, where I talk about if you have a problem selling software, this is the solution. And it talks a little bit about sales scripts, so that could help. Okay. I'd also recommend a book uh, by Neil Rackman called Spin Selling, which is a very good book on sales. And that gives you the general kind of format for how to think about creating a script. It's a fairly long book. I think it's like three or 400 pages. But actually, if you just Google the summary on, um, you'll find some summaries online and that'll give you a lot of the information. But actually, it's probably good to read the book just to fully digest what you're trying to learn. Very good. Yeah. I often Google the summaries before I read a business book because it's not like there's spoilers in it. And a lot of business books I find really should just have been the summary. They should have been an article instead of 300. But if you say, I read Spin Selling probably 15, 20 years ago. I don't remember it very well, but it's one of those that's recommended. I forgot to do a call for questions at the top of our conversation. Most folks know the drill by now that obviously we're recording this live. It's a live stream. And, and one of the huge benefits of that is that the audience is able to uh, ask questions. So actually, it looks like we do. Thank you, Pablo. We have a question already, even had announced it. So Pablo asks, how long are these scripts generally? Yes. Yeah, so typically, they can take as long as 30 minutes to go through. Uh, maybe 45. But the key thing with uh, sales is the best calls usually uh, is when 
the customer speaking more than you are and you are leading the conversation. So really you want the customer, the prospect to speak much more than you do. So they're more like prompts, but it's very hard to, I've seen, to communicate the value of a, a piece of software in less than 30 minutes because there's the preamble, there's understanding their problems, which can take a long time. Most SaaS apps will have at least three or four main features that you have to go through and connect to their problems. If the person might turn up a few minutes late to the call and then you need to have time to wrap up. So that always takes at least 30 minutes. That makes sense. And then in terms of, I'm not sure if he's asking about length of uh, you know, duration, which 30 minutes is good to hear that you think that's standard. Or if he's asking how long are the physical scripts? Is it, we talked about it being bullet points. Is it eight bullet points, 10 bullet points? Have you seen half a page? What do you normally see? Two pages. Oh, wow. Two pages of bullet points. Yep. Okay. So it's a lot. So you really are, it's, if you think about a page of bullet points might be what, 20 or 30 bullets, maybe more. And so if you think about a 30 minute call, you're, you have a bullet for every 15, wait, 30 seconds, give or take. Exactly. Because the challenge okay. is what happened is that you have a question and then you'll see common responses. So then you need to write mm. down the response for the, the common the response. <laughs> so then you end up getting longer and longer. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it's a choose your own adventure a bit. Mm-hmm. You don't go through mm-hmm. it line by line. You say, if they ask this question, if they have this objection, exactly. got exactly. it. Very interesting. It's a trip. And all the years of hearing sales leaders talk like Steli Efti and Damian Thompson, they've both been on, on Startups for the Rest and Steli's spoken at Microsoft many times. I haven't heard much about scripting sales calls. So I'm actually pretty fascinated by this. It makes a lot of sense why you would do that. And I can imagine especially early on, you hire a new salesperson, you don't want them to sit down, you know, with a blank page and having some type of script for them to have written. I've heard of truly outbound telemarketing scripts where they are literally reading from it, but this, that's not really Mm. what you're saying. You're saying it's like an outline. It's like a sales call outline with, and Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm intrigued Mm -hmm. by this idea. So there's one other point to make is that sometimes on the call, it can be difficult to ask difficult questions. And when you have it written down in front of your system, you want to ask the customer a difficult question. It could be a simple thing. How much are you paying for your you know, existing software? Some people might feel uncomfortable asking that to a customer, but if you have it written down, it forces you to ask the questions, the uncomfortable questions you don't want to ask. But you sometimes you have to ask those questions to the customer for them to realize, okay, this is the value I'm going to get from what you're producing. Right. Asking questions. What's your budget? What's your timeline? What, how many people, what other people need to make a decision? These are questions that can feel to some, like you're prying or something, but you need that information. And so having those written down, Mm. I agree, would be helpful. Okay. So let's say I'm a founder of a small B2B SaaS, bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped. I don't have a sales team and I'm running my own sales calls. In terms of structuring that, it, does it come back to what you are, what you said at the top? The first question I asked was, what's the script like? And you ran through the high-level bullets of it's a welcome, and then it's a finding out their problem, and then it's tying it to the Is that your structure? Yeah, that's exactly the structure. And just to repeat for those who have missed that, yeah, please it's do. You know, an, introduction, an introduction. Hello, how are you? How's your day? Keep it short and sweet. You don't need to ask lots of information about that, but just some general pleasantries. And then you go into asking what's their problem? Like, why are they there on the call? There's a reason why someone has taken time to sit down with you to do a phone call or video call, whatever. So find out what they, what that issue is. 
find out how they solve the problem today. That's the third point. So usually there's some kind of hack they're putting together to solve the problem today. If they're not looking for any other kind of solution and they're just living without, without a solution today, then you have to wonder, is this really a problem for them? Maybe it's not a very big problem if they can just live without a solution. So that can be insightful, that part. Then it's, it's, it can be useful to hear what their ideal solution is. Customers are usually quite bad at knowing what this, the solution they want, but at least they can say general topics like, I they want it to be fast or they want it to integrate with some other software, general high level stuff, which is useful for you because that lets you know what are the parts of your application can really add value for them. And so if you don't, if you skip that part, you might end up talking about one part of your, of your application that has nothing to do with their problem. So it's useful to figure out what's their ideal solution. Then you present your solution one by one. This is dangerous though. You can go into a monologue for 15 minutes just talking about your features. You don't want to do that. You always have to tie it back to their problem. Oh, you said integrating was important. Here's our API feature. Can you see how it works on the screen, for example? Does this look like it will solve the problem you mentioned five minutes ago? They say yes, no. At the end, if they said yes to your five features solves their five problems, then they've said yes five times about your solution working for them. And then you can go into the close and ask for the sale or so on and so forth. Yeah, that makes sense. And if are you blogging these days? Are you publishing essays? Not much. I tweet a little bit, okay. but not much. Yeah. yeah. The reason I ask is because what you just said there, that two minute monologue with the outline would just make an amazing blog post or an amazing, or yeah. even a, a YouTube video. If you put it directly, just walk through that and then put the the bullets in the, the description for the YouTube video below. I know you're doing some stuff on YouTube these days. Do you have a short URL for your YouTube channel that people can, can find you or what's the easiest way? Just search for my name, John Indega, it will come up first on YouTube. There's not many of us in the world, I think like not 25 of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, do, I'll okay. do a video on that, no problem. Okay, sounds good. Looks like we have another question from the, the, the listeners, I usually say from the audience. Every sales call I receive, let's see, every sales call I receive introduced their product first. I see every sales call I've been on as a potential customer introduce their product first, they didn't ask me about my problem. Are they all doing it wrong? If the person receiving the call has opted into something and it's very clear this is something you want, then I think it's okay to get to the products quickly. But I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Even if you say, give me a call about insurance, still when the person calls you, they need to confirm, okay, what type of insurance, home insurance, car insurance, and then the car insurance, what is your car? So there's still information that will never be communicated fully through a form or even a, even a pre-call. Yes, I think that is a mistake to start with the product. You should always start with the customer's problems. Next question, what is the best way to prepare for a sales call? And when I think about this question, I think about if I have a prospect, do I should I research them? Should I go to the company website? Do I look them up on... Crunchbase? Do I look the individual up on LinkedIn? I don't know. What, what else? How else would you prepare for this? Yeah. So usually up to 30 minutes before the call, as you get better, maybe 15 or even 10 minutes before the call. Yeah. I look up the person, see if we've got anything in common, see if there's anything interesting. Usually LinkedIn is sufficient. Just Google searches. You might find some interesting things. They're from the same town as you, or they went to the same college or little things like that might come up, or you might realize that they previously worked with a competitor or some kind of little tidbit of information that might help so you're not going in blind. You should definitely research the company, just have a general idea of who is this person, what is their role, how big is the company. You can even assess things like do they have the budget just from looking at their website and that gives you the ability to frame 
the questions you're about to ask. Yep. And I have a question for you. Are you living in a bomb shelter? Because you have a lot of boxes behind you. <laughs> I just moved into a new house and we hired this uh, crazy interior designer who convinced us to get these leopards on the wall here. That's yeah, awesome. Pretty much a bomb shelter with leopards on the wall. <laughs> for now. Yeah, until that's put away. I just wanted, I wanted to call it out in case people are watching and thinking, why is John surrounded by all these boxes filled with random stuff? So you, you touched a little bit on spin selling earlier as a resource and of course your YouTube channel. A question that we get a lot is I'm a solo founder or I'm on a small team of three or four people and we want to learn more about selling. And it seems like the tactics of today are you know pretty different than even what we learned a few years ago. So are there any other, in addition to spin selling, are there any courses, any other books people like yourself, other kind of online mentors or whatever that you would recommend people follow or check out? Unfortunately, this, at this juncture, I just have to be honest and say the best way to learn sales is to do sales calls. Learning and reading books around will you know, give you a little bit of information, but you just need to do it. That's how you're going to learn. And within 10 calls, you'll have the confidence to speak to people pretty consistently. Within 20 calls, you'll know your scripts and be comfortable with that. Within 30 calls, you'll be able to sell your product hands down, no issues. It usually just takes 30 calls. So you just need to set yourself that goal. Let me just get through 30 calls. It's like when you haven't been working out for a while and you want to get back in shape, you just need to go and work out whatever six or seven times and then you get your momentum and your flow. It is just, that's just the hump. And that's the best way to, to prepare and to learn and to get good. It's just to do it. Yep. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I always found it really hard. It just isn't in my personality, I think, to do a lot of sales calls or not to do a lot, but just sales is not something that comes naturally to me, but I did have to do it on a few different products, frankly. And I've definitely found the more I did it, the more comfortable I felt and the more, the less on the spot I felt. That was my problem originally is it was like, oh, I need all the answers. And I feel like I'm you know, messing up the call if I don't basically have all the answers or have all the recommendations or if we don't have all the features they want, then somehow I have failed it. And I think that once I did 10 calls, 15 calls and started <laughs> being able to just answer like, oh, here, think about this. Do you really need that? Or maybe we're not a fit for you or we actually do have all of it. It just gave me a, a comfort level that I didn't have mm -hmm. early on. And of course, getting a customer oh. is great. Once you get one, two, three customers, yeah. then you know you have something and then you just keep going. Yeah, it builds confidence. Another question from the viewers for sales calls. Do you have an opinion on whether to do video or audio only? Is this changing? That's a really good question, actually. It's a very good question. So I always used to do audio only because I believe that people get distracted by uh, visual cues, what's in people's backgrounds or different things. So I, I've always been audio only. But now with COVID, people don't have the, there's more of an expectation to have video on now because it's become a trust builder. And mm. you know, if someone is just has audio, you start to wonder, can I trust this person? Who is just the sound coming through the computer? So I think mm. I would now do video calls reluctantly, but I would make sure that I have a mm -hmm. clean background, nothing crazy, you know, going on around me and just try and focus the conversation on the topics. Also, people don't like answering difficult questions when they can see people's faces. When you, if you ask yep. hard questions, people squirm and they feel uncomfortable, you know, so I would always try and go to audio if you can. Yeah, audio is my default. I'm not doing sales calls, but like mm -hmm. just my default communication. I much more enjoy audio. I like that, like you said, there's no distraction. When I record podcasts, mm -hmm. we use Squadcast 
and they have video on by default. And before I hit record, I turn mine off and I ask the guests to turn theirs off. We do pure audio only because mm -hmm. that's the medium everyone will hear. Mm -hmm. And there's something about it being more relaxed. And to your point, if I do have to ask, I don't ask like really awkward questions, but I, sometimes I have to ask tough questions about something, a decision someone made, or there, there can be a moment of pushback of what I dig deeper and everything. And I feel like with audio, it is, there's just a, a deeper comfort level. Absolutely. All right. Any other questions from the audience? If not, I am going to, I want to dig in a little more. I feel like we've covered scripts pretty well. If there's anything else you feel like we haven't dug into specifically with scripts, please chime in, but I'm good. Yeah, one thing I would mention, I didn't mention this earlier, but one thing that's helped me a lot in sales, which is nothing to do with scripts, is, is getting your body in shape. Now, this sounds a bit weird to talk about health and well-being, so to speak, but if I start the morning with a run, maybe listen to some upbeat music, and then I start my work day, I find I have much more productive days than when you know I've gone to bed late, I'm a little bit lethargic. It sounds silly, but just the rhythm of your body can have a huge impact on how your sales calls go. So I recommend starting with maybe a little bit of music in the shower before you start your day, maybe doing some exercise, you will get better results, hands down. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. Oh, we got a question. What's the threshold for SaaS in terms of pricing? That At, at what point do sales calls make sense? For example, $500 a month and up. So I would just couch this, John, before uh, you answer. I, think, I don't think of it as as monthly pricing, I think of it as lifetime value, or at least what you get maybe out of the first mm -hmm. year. But usually if the, your lifetime value is, well, let's answer it in terms of that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And then I'll, then I'll chime in. Yeah, sure. So I've heard lots of, there's lots of information about this on the internet, but generally speaking, I'm happy to do sales calls, I think up to 50 customers, because the first customers, you just need to learn what the hell is going on, what do people think? So I'll just speak to as many people as I can in the early days. If you read online, they'll say it's very difficult to have an inside sales team if you're charging less than $250 a month, simply because you you need to pay people at least $80,000 a year. And if they're living in a Western country, they need a certain salary, they'll have a certain close rate and so forth. That has been my experience, actually, that it's quite hard to have a SaaS business with a sales team, not just the founders doing the odd call, but an actual sales team with uh, less than you know $250 a month. So if you're selling for less than $250 a month, then you need to do inbound marketing pretty much to acquire the bulk of your customers, which is possible. You just have to have a remarkable product. That's the hard part. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that was something in the early days of Drip. We, especially in the early days, we talked to anyone who would pay us $100 a month or more. And it's to your point of, we just wanted to have a bunch of conversations. We were trying to, mm -hmm. to do that. And I did it at first and then I handed it to our customer success mm -hmm. person. But pretty quickly we realized it was, we moved that up to 200 mm -hmm. and then it, it became 250. And then I believe we actually mm -hmm. raised that later. I don't remember. I think if they would pay annually, we, we would do 250. And if they were gonna be monthly, it was like somewhere between three and 500 a month. Where And it, for us, it was a subscriber count, right? Once they're at XD mm thousand, -hmm. <clears throat> subscribers per month. That's when it made sense. And in my mind, again, in the early days, if you're scratching and clawing and the, your lifetime value is, is 3000. So that's the total number they would of months they would stick around times the monthly price they would pay you. That feels reasonable, but that makes no sense later on. It, it, that's just not enough money that as like you're saying, to compensate mm -hmm. salespeople and build a full team out. At that point, you got to be thinking about $10,000, $10, $25,000 lifetime values at a minimum to, to really build mm -hmm. this stuff out. 
Mm-hmm. And so, I've also a about... metric that I like is founders should be involved in selling at least until you're doing like a million dollars a year in sales or eighty thousand dollars a month for mm. recurring revenue. And which I a metric mm-hmm. resonates well with me that because until then you're still mm-hmm. learning, even the way up to a million dollars, this is still so much learning, even beyond that, of course. But really need to be in it for the for a while. Yeah. How do you feel? Do you have any thoughts on sales compensation? Because that's often uh, a question that I get. It's I, like, I'm hiring my first salesperson. And even if I take the advice and I hire two, when I, let's say I run a SaaS app and it's $250 a month for the bottom plan, and then it's 500 and it's a thousand and there's no setup fee. Like, how do you, how would you think about a, a V1 um, of that? As we wrap up, we have maybe just a couple more minutes left. Sure. So the plans for early, the early stage I've seen work. A 50-50 split, so like a 50% kind of is just a base monthly salary like a normal employee would get, and then 50% uh, commission. I've seen that work relatively well. As a company gets more mature, you might want to change that commission percentage to 30% or something like that. The commission, I've seen it vary, but it might be as much as a third, no, not a third, probably 20% of the lifetime value or something like that, mm-hmm. or 20%, or they can do 20% of the monthly recurring just paid on a rolling basis, as long as the customer is with the business, also that provides incentive for customer success and the long-term health of the customer as well. So that's the just the general numbers I've seen work well. When you say 50-50, you mean if I was gonna, if I wanted to pay a salesperson a total of seventy-two thousand a year, that they would their base salary would be thirty-six thousand, and then they would have the opportunity to make up to thirty-six thousand in sales commission. Exactly. Yeah. But in reality, if there's no cap, which you probably shouldn't do in the early stage to incentivize, then right. they could get more than that. Yeah. But it's it's real. It's pretty realistic that they can make. I'm just trying to do. Well, it's 36. Yeah, it's yes. pretty realistic they yeah. can make three thousand dollars a month in commission. They should hit exactly. that more often than not. Type thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sir, it's been great having you. We're at the uh, half hour mark as well. I really appreciate everyone's participation and the questions coming in. Folks can find you at John and Dege on Twitter and obviously youtube.com searching for your name. Anywhere (laughs) else you want to plug? No, that's it. Good luck. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for coming on today. All right. And as we head out, I want to let you know MicroConf Remote that we did last month. You can get access to the video recordings at microconfremote.com. If you have a ticket, if you had a ticket to remote, those are included. If you did not, there is a small fee. Save the date for MicroConf Europe, October 3rd through 5th in Dubrovnik, Croatia. Fingers crossed that we'll be able to do that. I actually am about to have my second shot here in the next few weeks. So thanks to, so hopefully other folks will have shots by then and and you can read on our microconf.com site uh, all about the the precautions and such where we're taking around that event and we will adjust as we go. Thanks as always to Hay and Stripe. They make everything we do just a little easier. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you in two weeks, same time, same place.